want to take a few minutes to tell you about our latest sponsor, Benevity. Benevity is a company I know really well. Not only are they led by wonderful people who are driven by purpose and a desire to make a positive difference to the world, they're also global leaders in their field. So Benevity's technology facilitates workplace giving, volunteering, as well as grants management. It helps employees to deliver positive and meaningful impact through the support of different causes and different charities. And I know from personal experience, having used it only last week, that it really works and it's effective and efficient. So I wanted to give to a cause. I wanted my employee to match it. It all happened through through clicks online. Check them out. Go to the website, benevity.com. Highly recommend checking them out as a potential for your corporate, your business. Let's get back to the show. It's really about how do we get people out as, as fast as possible and provide those connections and support. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Welcome to Purposely with Lucas Patchett, co-founder of Orange Sky, established in 2014 by Lucas and his close friend Nick Marchese. Orange Sky is a non-profit helping people experiencing homelessness. They have mobile units that provide showers as well as laundry services, but you also hear that they provide people a space to connect, genuine non-judgmental conversation, really important to their service. Blown away by Lucas and Nick, I don't know about you were doing in your 20s, but these guys gave up a lot of their freedoms, a lot of their going to the bars, to the pubs, to the clubs, to set up a non-profit. You're really going to enjoy the episode. Before we jump into it, can I just ask you a small favor? Whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, can I hit follow, make a massive difference to me getting the message out there. Back into the show. Enjoy. Lucas Patchett, welcome to Purposely Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. You are the co-founder of Orange Sky. Before we start, I'd love to dive into its mission and vision. Yeah, absolutely. So Orange Sky, our mission is positively connecting communities and, and how we do that is delivering a free service for people who are doing it tough. So some might be experiencing homelessness or just living in sort of unsuitable housing conditions across Australia and New Zealand. And, and we deliver free laundry um, showers out of mostly mobile assets, out of vans and whatnot. And then, um, but most importantly, sit down and have a chat and, and that conversation, that chance to connect is really what brings us um, together every every week. And, and we're lucky enough to do that you know, 350 times on the streets of Australia and New Zealand every single week. Wonderful. And so you're a blend of professional staff and volunteer resource? Yeah, we've got just short of 3,000 volunteers now across Australia and New Zealand. And you were 20 years old when this started, which, you know, feels really young. So you started it with a Nick Marchese, if I said that right? Yeah, Nick and I were best mates through school. And, and the school we went to here in Brisbane actually um, ran a food service for people doing it tough. So at the age of 14, 15, you know, we're out on the streets talking to people that, you know, you'd never normally chat to and, and have that opportunity to connect with and, and realising that you know, people that were accessing that food then were just like my uncle or my auntie or my my granddad or or whatever it might be but they just sort of had a couple of things go wrong in their life didn't have that family support network around them and and we could do a really simple thing to support them and and so that sort of lit a bit of curiosity for both of us and and then yeah a couple of years out of school we were sitting down one day and just throwing ideas around and we said oh crap that sounds like a pretty cool idea why don't don't we give it a shot and um yeah so that was 
turned into the first van and, and then the first van turned into many more after that. Yeah, I don't really want to dive into that story. In terms of that, is that the relating to those people and that's really where the power of, of the motivation came? So the fact that they were like uncles, aunties, or could have easily been people that were in your own life and in your own family? Yeah, I think we're always interested in giving back and had that opportunity it was a really good way for us to connect and, and we became mates through different opportunities like that a lot of our mates similarly and so it's almost like a another way to volunteer and, and contribute to the community and, and i think as well homelessness can be so scary and overwhelming but if you just provide people with a listening ear a cup of coffee or food you know a load of washing or a shower then, then that can be the start of something that can support people through you know what is normally the the toughest time in, in someone's life so yeah, I think it's really back to basics, it's human connection uh, and, and those basic needs that everyone needs and, and yeah, started as, as a bit of a crazy idea and then it's sort of just blossoming and growing into to what it is now. Because most people your age at that point are either at uni or thinking about what they're going to do with their lives. Had both of you drawn some blanks? Had you, had you weren't sure about what you wanted to do? or No, I was at uni. I was studying mechanical engineering and commerce at, at uni and, and Nick had sort of started off what he thought at that time was his dream job and um, working as a camera camera operator and editor at, at a local TV station. And, um, yeah, just it was one of those side projects, bit of a garage idea and, and gave it a go. And, and then, yeah, just off it went and we kind of just jumped on for the ride. And so it started with a van. So you loaded a van with it and, and sort of plumbed up a, a, a washing machine and a dryer and headed off. Tell us about that sort of – because. I find that the motivation is powerful, but often people don't turn that into action. Why do you think you turn it into action at that really beginning stage? I think we, Nick and I, are always connected over giving things a go and, and having ideas and, and actually trying trying them out. And I think that was one of the things that we really built our friendship around was you know, the ideas just got a bit bit wilder and a bit crazier and a, and a bit more expensive, I think, as, as we got a bit older. And and Nick owned, owned this old van and we, we ran a different project out of this van and and we, yes, so when we started talking about washing machines and then I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty cool and, and we can probably do it, you know, relatively cheaply if we get the washing machines donated and, and we get the van. We've already got the van van there. And, and I think the great thing about having the van was it almost gave you constraints so it wasn't limitless. It wasn't like we had these two washers, these two dryers that we eventually got donated by, by a com- local company and we had a van and we had to find a way to make it fit. So rain, hail or shine, we we're going to make make this stuff fit in the van. And, and we, we managed to just squeeze it in. We, you know, it's, it's amazing how, how you find friends who, you know, are electricians and plumbers and, and people that can help with pulling this sort of stuff off as well. And especially in those early days, like people are so willing to just, just chip in and give it a go as well. So I think, yeah, having an idea is one thing, absolutely, but turning it into something, but also not overcooking it. And it doesn't need to be, you know, a perfectly polished product to, to, to start with. It can be a bit rough and ready, test test the concept. You know, we're the only ones in the world who'd ever tried this. So um, we wanted to learn and, and see see what happens. So I think for me and for both Nick and I, we're, we're sort of one of my key values is having fun and, and learning. And, and this gave us that opportunity to do it and, yeah, help some people along the way. And, you know, in my research, I read that um, you had to make a call to your mum on that early trip to ask her how much powder you needed to use. So you guys are pretty green on the laundry side. Yeah, definitely. Like we were both 
both still living at home, pretty green, I'd say, absolutely. I'd done six months stint overseas, so I started to learn a little bit more, but definitely was no no washing expert. And, um, yeah, so it was part, part of the conversation. Um, it was definitely getting some tips from mum and, and dad as well as to, um, as to how it was all going to work. And can you take us back? Do you, like, do you literally remember the first time that you set off on the road and you, and you parked up? You know, people thought you were mad, right? You had feedback saying you guys are crazy. Yeah, so I remember we we had this van and we sort of had this meeting with this laundromat supplies company and, and they um, said, you know, we're like, oh, we're gonna do, this is what we're going to do, we're going to build a mobile laundry, we're going to operate it for free and, and they're like, machines never work, who the hell is going to use the washing, who's, who's going to wash their clothes in the park? Yeah, you, literally you guys are crazy, like this, this is not going to work. And somehow we managed to talk them around and convince them and, and they eventually believed in us enough to, to give us those first four machines and then it was a case of well all right let's get this van kitted out we rocked up the next week when they said the machines were there and we'd clean stripped the whole van out cleaned it up and scrubbed it clean and and we rocked up there and I, I was following nick in my car and and we sort of dropped the van off and they're like they brought the four the two washers two dryers out in a all in boxes and we're like oh aren't you guys installing this like don't you guys build laundromats and like no no you need to get a plumber and you need an electrician you need to do this 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 and this like we, we only supply the machines and we'll do you know some basic maintenance on the machines and then we so we had this kind of aha moment we're like all right well this is on us now i suppose so yeah again back to the drawing board we sort of drew something up that we thought would work made heaps of changes about 20 trips back and forth to the local hardware store and it was just after work and on, on the weekends for the first Probably took us about a week and a half, two weeks to pull it all together, and and then yeah, we we're ready to go one um, one Thursday morning, and, and we thought, well, what better place to start than out alongside the old school food van that we used to operate with, and there's you know, people that we sort of knew, and we're still loosely connected with with a few people there, and we said, well, let's just give it a go, let's give it a crack. It was a tough one with councils because it wasn't doesn't fit in a box, so it doesn't really. You know, it's difficult to know exactly what permits and stuff you need because it is something that's quite new and, and novel. And and so we said, oh well, let's just let's just give it a go. And, and we rocked up that first morning, and um, yeah, it was a few weird looks. Everyone's like, what the hell's going on? There's there's quite a bit of skepticism in some of those communities because a lot of the people there have been stuffed over before. They've been, be it by big organisations or government or church church groups. Like there's been probably a lot of challenges faced by, by people in that community. So there's heaps of scepticism. And then, yeah, Nick and I are trying to convince people that, you know, we're just two two blokes giving us a go and, and we, we want to wash your clothes. And um, yeah, there's a fellow, Jordan, who was there um, and, and we we load up the machines. The machines actually broke the first morning we, we went out and the second morning we, we went out, but we eventually got to work on the third morning and, and same same park, same place. And, and Jordan was the guy who did for washing for the first time. And, and I can remember... You know, it was, again, one of those moments where you're like, oh, you know, we're, we're doing the right thing here. We're on, we're on the right track in that Jordan. He studied engineering at uni, same same university that I studied at. He'd worked as an engineer around Brisbane. He went to school, like the closest school to the school that I went to in, in Brisbane, and and yet he was sleeping in the park and, and doing it tough and just didn't have that family support network around him and, and had fallen on some tough times. And so that really set the tone for, for what was to what was to come and, I think even more so than obviously the washing was good and, and it was great to get his get all his stuff done. But um, for then to it was about that conversation, the impact that had not just on on Jordan but also on me as an individual as well. And that it was almost another one of those aha moments where we were like, okay, I think we're onto something here. So yeah, the the first wash really set the tone for for many more to come. And 
that sort of comes through loud and clear. So the the original idea was about giving people the self-respect back and just helping them in a sort of triage moment, like they really need you at that point with the service that you offer. But actually the, the realisation fairly quickly was that actually the washing machine kicks off, this, the orange seats come out, I want to know a bit, bit more about the orange seats, but um, it's actually the, the human connection that you that you almost provide is just the most important piece. Yeah, absolutely. It's washing takes time, and there's not much to do once once it's all kicked into gear. So yeah, there's really just an opportunity to sit down, and have a chat, and and for people that are you know potentially ignored or walk past that opportunity is for a couple of hours to feel normal and to to sit down and, and have a yarn is is really powerful. So yeah, it was a, almost an unexpected benefit when we started, and just I think the magic that conversation can lead to you know it leads to stronger relationships it leads to then trust it leads to rebuilding some of those connections back with the community as well so another big part of our model is that we always partner alongside another service provider so it might be a soup kitchen or a food van or a larger community center or housing housing provider so that orange van can really be the conduit you know from the streets to the health and, and housing providers as well and, and getting that spread of lots of different service providers is really important to tackle what is a really complex issue and that I think when people think of homelessness they think of you know the people sleeping rough might have cardboard sign they might walk past them on, on their walk from the train station or something like that but that is only just a really small percentage there's you know, people in temporary accommodation there's people in the low standard dwellings and overcrowded situations in Australia and in New Zealand I know there's lots of issues around you know housing suitability and, and actually being able to live in appropriate conditions so yeah, I think it affects everyone in, in different ways, but for us, it's about you know, washing is something that everyone needs, and and connection is something that everyone needs. So how, how do we we can bring those two things together, and, and some really cool things can happen. And imagine boundaries is a big thing, right? So the you know empathetic people doing this, you guys, and you start talking to people, you hear about the challenges they face, but not to get too involved or or sort of make promises you can't deliver on. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a challenge when you've got, you know, heart-wrenching story after heart-wrenching story. You've got, in some cases, I was out on shift the other night and there's a you know, mum and her you know, eight-year-old daughter who was sleeping in a tent in just an inner-city park in Brisbane and, and just being, like, overwhelmed at this feeling of, you know, how do I, how can I help or how, how but, but knowing where those boundaries are are in place. Yeah, it is it's definitely a challenge. We, we do have... Um, some good supports and for our volunteers, I, th- I think comes back to reminding ourselves of our purpose and, and our little bit that we can contribute to supporting people in that situation. So not not overextending and, and doing something that's not going to be scalable across all of our services as well because we want someone who rocks up in Auckland to have the same experience as someone who rocks up in Perth and, and that you know, consistency. Obviously within and you want to localise and, and have that local flavour, but a general level of consistency is also really important. And so 36 locations now you've talked about in two, in two countries but was it always that growth plan? Like, how seriously did you sort of map out the future of Orange Guy? Like, and I'd love to hear about how you started to scale it. Yeah, we not 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 at all. Is the short answer? I, th- I remember we started in Brisbane. and We said, well, you know, maybe we'll raise enough money to you know get rid of the first van, which is a dodgy. Like, it was a fifteen-year-old van when we started with it, and we'll replace it with like a flash van. But we'll do it in. Just in Brisbane, it would be a bit of a garage project, bit bit fun, bit interesting. And the other thing was that Nick kind of wanted his van back as well. So he, um, I remember sort of the first moment it became real when we were building the van when you have to cut a hundred and fifty mil hole in the side to duck the dryers through, and 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 that being like, oh, okay, well, you can't really 
put the hole back in once uh, once that's happening. So this is this is getting real. And then we said, well, the first van we hit the streets. We chucked a few photos up on Facebook and, and sort of got a fair bit of traction. And, and people started donating from from all around the world. And, and someone posted on Reddit, and yeah, there's there's just this sort of quick spark of excitement and exposure, and, and that really started to turn the wheels of about four months later we had a conversation with a lady who said what do you guys want we said we're on second van and and she pulled out a check and and wrote us a check for a second van and that then almost set this snowball in motion and and at the same time you know we're starting to learn about you know business planning and 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 doing all that stuff and and our first board of directors was you know as a not-for-profit in australia you have to have seven directors and and you know so it was Nick and I, and, and we stitched up a mate, and then you know, we stitched up both our mums. And, and I can remember my mum actually wrote our first business plan, and, and she said, "You know, next year we're going to raise a million dollars, and we're going to put ten vans on the road, or something like that." And I can remember reading it at, at, at a board meeting, which is I say that in inverted commas, in and being like, "There's no bloody way this is going to happen," and you know how like that's so much money, that's so many vans, like how's it going to happen? And, and that year we we did about 30% more than that across donations and, and across vans as well. And and then that just set the tone and set the the pace, I think, for, for the growth that was to come. So definitely wasn't originally planned, but then it came from being opportunistic, jumping on opportunities and, and just making it happen. And, and I think for us keeping you know, the people we help at, at the centre of what we do really helped to guide that of saying, well, someone's saying, hey, I want to put a van in Perth. And we said, well, let's make it happen. Here's how much we reckon it's going to cost and, and let's let's crack on and do it. Yeah. And how were you surviving, both of you? Like, how were you paying to live? At that point, we were both still working. So Nick was still working as the camera operator. I was still casually working and doing uni at the same time. So, yeah, we just kind of rode the wave a little bit and we're up for an award in um, 2016. And, and I remember we both sort of said, well, if we get this, let's, take this seriously let's you know i'll drop out of uni you quit your job and, and let's just jump on the train and then um, take off being like there's no bloody way we're going to win this award and then yeah sure enough well, won the award and next week had to call up uni and pull out of uni and nick, nick quit his job and yeah and, and off, off we went and that i think again we just rode the wave and said well we'll, we'll figure it out so as we go and and so now you know looking back i think those were some really critical times and decisions that shaped it to be where it is today and and now to be in a position where we're full-time you know working within our own sky it's um, pretty special yeah great wonderful and looking back to that point you know this we don't know what we don't know right was there, there's a lot of things that you know you wouldn't have had the experience to know like was there mistakes in that early phase do you think look back and through a different lens now you've got load of experience yeah absolutely i think there's countless mistakes i think are, are still like it boggles my mind around sometimes the you know when we're dealing with people and and you know you've got volunteers from all walks of life you've got friends who use a service from all walks of life that like i mentioned earlier some of them are having the worst times of their life as well and so i think you've always got that sort of level of unknown of, of that space um, of, of people and, and just doing silly things in some cases doing heaps of learnings around that i think just from an organizational sense like how do we would raise 100, 100 grand to build a new van and then three months later well we need to put fuel and tires and, and all that sort of stuff on it so just how we shift to being a bit more sustainable which then leads to conversations with funders about three and five year partnerships and and, and it's all those little little things but i think what we prioritized in the early days was was around speed and, and getting it out there and getting getting impact happening and, and i think 
I do believe that, you know, sometimes growth masks all sins as well. And, and so we're lucky that we were able to kind of build it as we as we went and keep growing and keep keep excitement. So that enabled us to kind of figure it out as we as we went as well. And at the core of that, is it be, it's been successful because you guys have got complementary skills, like you aren't the same human beings, like you bring different things to the party? Yeah, definitely. Like I think Nick and I were always very different at school and sort of after school as well in that you know, I was probably more on the academic side and, and Nick was more on the practical side. I think from a even from an organisational perspective like and, and the roles we're in now, like Nick's, Nick's role is all just looking at new projects and new products and, and new innovations for, for Orange Sky, whereas mine is sort of looking after the 90% rest of the organisation in terms of you know, the core kind of volunteer and, and fundraising offering that we that we give um, and I think that definitely is a part of it. I think also the strength of our relationship and the strength of our connection and even when we you know, present together and, and those sorts of things, like we know each other so well that we are able to bounce off each other and, and um, almost do that on, on the fly as well, which I think yeah, is a big, has been a big contributor to, to Orange Guy's success as well as that yeah, strength of the relationship and the, the yin and yang of skill sets, I suppose. Yeah. And really important early is that board that you pull together and, and how much you trust those people and the skills that they bring. But it's also what advice you listen to or don't listen to. I'd love to hear a bit more about that, you know, beyond you and Nick. Yeah, I think we was, uh, and I, I still believe that the startup world and the social enterprise world, the not-for-profit world, the people are so generous with their advice and with their time. And I think what I'd actually apply that across everything of that, that's been one of my biggest learnings through this whole crazy journey is around the generosity of people and if that's in their time or their money or their advice or their wisdom, I think that it's absolutely tremendous and people really lean in and, and that's almost amplified for us because we are in a you know, social and not-for-profit space So, and Nick and I firm believes that there's no, no competition in helping people even though that you know, ultimately there is you know, 57,000 charities in Australia, there's 27,000 I think in New Zealand. Um, so there is a, a lot of competition in inverted commas but how do we actually cut through that and the more people that we can help the, the better um, is sort of our, our firm belief and I think yeah having those different kind of trusted people and advisors throughout the journey has been been awesome and, and that I think the big part of that is well you'll meet someone you'll connect you'll go on that journey and, and then there'll be an end date to that time as well I think which especially when you're in the early days when you are growing really quickly as a percentage of your organisational size every year, then different people are best suited to support with that support. And, that. and so I think going on riding those waves and, and um, yeah, going on that journey, but also the lucky thing for Nick and I is that we had each other as well. So we could always sense checking, oh, what do you think about this? Or, you know, this person said this and this person said this and I think this kind of thing. So having that someone in the, you know, in it with you every, every day is, it has been a really good opportunity for us and, and i know I've, in speaking to single you know founder um, organizations as well that that can be a, it's almost a jealousy point in having someone in it every day with you as well so i think yes yeah, people are so generous and with their time and, and their wisdom so how do you actually figure out who are the right people and, and know when it's time to call it as well so leading a charity really a responsible thing to do right and, it's, and charities i think the big difference in them and businesses it's everything's on show right it's such a public forum because people can look inside your you know financial accounts yeah. but like have you made sure you've done stuff that's 
fitting of a 20 something year old like you know during that phase like doing some dumb stuff maybe sometimes is it has that been difficult to, to balance for you both yeah i think it's it's been a it's what it's one thing i think about and talk about pretty openly quite often is that orange sky we didn't expect it to do what it did and it sort of has like it's given us so much in our life but it's also taken away some of our 20s so that opportunity to be an idiot and to you know do stupid stuff or, or whatever it is has definitely been limited and, and not saying that i'm i'm perfect but also you know the obligation that we both have to keep things really in a strong spot with our own like i said it is is incredibly public as we're transitioning from a you know pretty strong founder-led brand to more about the organization about the impact that we make which we're definitely in the process of doing but also it takes time so i think i think it's a it's definitely a, something that I, I think about a lot haven't quite solved what it looks like maybe it's when i'm in my 30s i'll um you know catch up on some of that stuff but uh, <laughs> yeah i haven't, haven't quite figured that one out but i think definitely still have had the chance to i think intersect a lot of that with our own sky as well of traveling and of experiencing new things and and doing it with your best mate is um, a pretty cool option as well pretty awesome and how much has been or success been around storytelling and also the branding like tell us about the storytelling because you're and you're really good at that and also about the the branding piece and the name and the look and feel yeah i think starting with the brand like we definitely fluked that i think like we the name our sky comes from a song it's a chilled song we, we like the song and we thought well it's kind of a cool name let's let's call it that but i think all the unexpected benefits and technical benefits of having a name and a color and a brand and, and all these sorts of things that, which we had no no experience in it was a it was a total total fluke so don't want to proclaim to be an expert or anything in that space i think storytelling has always been so critical for us from the start one nick's background in that sort of news piece and that was one of his passion areas and, and the reason he worked at news was that every day was really different he got to tell stories sometimes everyone sees the news and sometimes i'm sure there's some challenging challenging stories to tell but it was a really critical thing and i think for us that we one of our core things and, and still is now around how do we destigmatize homelessness because it is so stigmatized it is people are have this form view of what it is and what it isn't and actually how do we break down some of those those barriers and the best way to do that is to give people that don't have a voice a voice and so if that's through social media if that's through sharing a story if that's through you know amplifying that i think that's kind of one of our big strategies and, and i think authenticity within that is really important as well is that you know homelessness it sucks and people you know how do you not just give someone a cardboard sign and a make them look dirty and take some photos because that's not authentic i think it's like how do you actually tell that story share the ups and downs and you know how tough it is but also if there can be a little bit of light or hope in that which is around having that conversation or the orange van rocking up or or the food food van rocking up or whatever it might be i think that it's those little things that can can make a big impact and yeah so storytelling is something i'm really passionate about and um we'll I think always be a part of part of what we do. Yeah, and I think crucial for that is, like you said before, always guided by your service user, right? So always guided by the people that you set this thing up to do and to always be true to them and, you know, not go against them. In terms of your hardest day in the office, like there must have, you must have come under fire, must have, have had haters on this journey. But are there anything that stands out that was like, wow, this, I'm not sure we can get over this or this is driving me mad? I think, um, like, definitely some bumps on the road i'd say some of the couple like one 
when I think when the first sort of active hater came out, which is around, you know, Orange Sky's not helping homelessness, it's just enabling it. And so I think that there's a whole, you know, thought pattern and, and whatnot to dive into there. But for us on the surface, absolutely, we provide washing in, in mostly public places and give that, but also our focus around that connection and conversation and, and actually you can't help someone unless you know who they are and you know what they like to do and, and, and different things like that. So starting with conversation relationships, I believe, is critical no matter what service um, service sort of um, use you're in. I think another one is launching New Zealand was, was bloody challenging. We had, you know, timing with vans on ships and funding uh, funding obligations and, like, yeah, it was a, having never imported something anywhere (laughs) trying to get a you know a van that no one in New Zealand's ever seen before and and getting it on time so we could deliver for sponsor obligations and and different things like that was definitely definitely a massive massive challenge and I can you know still some scars here I'm sure from some of our team who who were sort of as a part of part of that but then knowing that once that van hit the streets the first time and started providing impact and going shit you know this is all worth it and this is all all that hard work and you know, blood, sweat, and tears was, was definitely worth it. Even little things like you know, like I mentioned earlier, my mum was involved, and then once that sort of reached the the natural time for her to step away, I think it's still a difficult, difficult and, and challenging time to start start that separation and, and and going through that journey as well. So yeah, definitely plenty of bumps along the way. And New Zealand challenging partially because they were like, "We what's these Aussies coming over here telling us how to um, you know." solve our homelessness problem or no the, the community is probably more just like the community and service providers and and whatnot have been incredibly welcoming and and the friends and, and volunteers as, as well as probably more just pure logistics challenge of hey we always said we wanted to launch by this date and we need to work backwards and then vans getting stuck in customs and and not having that you know really it's not like you know if we launch a van in sydney we just drive it from brisbane sydney and takes takes 12 hours kind of thing it's um yeah probably a next level of logistics and planning that we probably weren't quite ready for just yet and then complications around actually the how do you do that where we're set up as a new zealand charity and the money stays in new zealand but then we also take those learnings and share those learnings from having done that in australia so not duplicating so we can be a bit more efficient as well so i think breaking new ground a little bit with some of that stuff which I think anytime you're doing something new, it can be a little bit challenging, especially when there's governments and legislations and, and all that sort of stuff involved as well. But, but in terms of community, in terms of the impact, in terms of that whole space, it's been, been tremendous. So. And there's been a real movement, hasn't there, away from in charity to you're sort of really evidencing the impact you have on people's lives. And that comes from funders who, before they want to fund you, they want evidence. But was there pressure to show that you or to illustrate to them? Um, to um, give evidence that you're you're more than just triage, like you're more than just helping someone in that moment. Not that that moment isn't important, but you knew you were doing, you had evidence that you were doing so much more through the relationships, through the helping people connect with others. Yeah, I think it's definitely still an area of growth for us. Like we're still not even a nine-year-old organisation yet, so the maturity, we've got a long way to go in terms of uplifting that maturity. But I think the other thing is that it is so tangible and practical and, and easy to understand. And I think sometimes like funders, have, funders especially have gotten a little bit fatigued maybe with like massive programs that are costing heaps of money and they're not actually sure the impact is driving. Whereas if you 
you know, someone gives 150 grand and we can put a new van on the road and start helping a brand new community straight away. And I think that timeliness and, and um, tangible impact is something that some funders have really been been looking for in that, you know, some communities and some places there's been you know, so much money pumped in and, and seemingly not, not a lot of progress as well. So I think if you can have a balanced approach in terms of how you're supporting people, then that's going to help, help go a hell of a long way um, in, in that space. Yeah. And the one thing that really keeps coming up with a lot of charity founders and people who start charities is the signing up to every year having to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that that's relentless and it's difficult and it's challenging and it keeps you up at night. Tell us about, you know, that sort of that sounded like that became an issue early on, but you've always been pretty good at that fundraising piece. Um, yes, I think we've had to be and, and we've learned as we've grown and, and grown as we've learned as well. So I think that having our approach is always brought. So one of my big beliefs when we talk about our mission of positively connecting communities, it's obvious the you know, people that use our service, I think it's close to obvious but a little bit less so that volunteers that drive the service are impacted in a positive sense as well and they're also from that community, you know, the person that took the van out this morning in Auckland, you know, is a local, they go out and support people who are local as well. But then the third rung of that is then the, the donor that supports it. Often we hear comments from donors saying, oh, I walk past your van every Wednesday afternoon or I see the van driving around and I just want to help out. After the you know, floods that hit Auckland last week, being able to jump in and, and help that community out straight away and then having an influx of donations from people going, oh, I never thought I'd have to use your service, but all of a sudden I had to and, and say, so, I want to give back a little bit and, and that groundswell of support is something that you know really that tangibility and, and being part of the community I think is is really important for, for that and then for us it's been a mixed bag and, and, a, and a learning and growth opportunity of saying well how do we get through COVID is that knowing that we've got a diversified revenue stream we can lock down our key supporters who are on longer-term partnerships for the everyday givers that give to us, how to actually tell them a really really compelling story about why now is the most critical time that people, that you need to keep giving to us. Same for our volunteers. How do we tell a really compelling story that, hey, we need you now more than ever as as well. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a, a big treadmill that you get on and you have to keep, keep rolling through and there's strategies to minimise the headache, but it's definitely got to be headaches every year, I think, so. And going back to COVID, and you know, a lot of really experienced uh, leaders fell apart and found things really challenging. But do you think that'll almost, when you reflect and how difficult things were in terms of you know keeping, keeping on, keeping on, and and keeping the money rolling in, and do you look back now and and, and think actually it was a wonderful learning experience, and um, you know, like we'll be nothing can strip, you know, nothing can top of us now. We've dealt with that. I think it's it's definitely up there, and I think as a personally as a leader learned the most i probably ever learned in a very short amount of time and i think that so yeah i'm almost thankful for that that opportunity but also hopeful that nothing like that ever has to happen again in that you know march 2020 having to have that conversation and, and ground all of our shifts across australia and new zealand and then all of a sudden know that we're turning off the tap to yeah thousands of people's support is um is pretty pretty tough to to reconcile with but then knowing that, hey, well, we need to rebuild and restart and, and that gave us a good opportunity to actually do that in a better and stronger way um, over the you know, coming coming years and now being at the point where we're helping more people every month than ever before, 
and um, it's we've got a strong foundation to keep building on and, and supporting people into the future. So, yeah, I think it was an incredible learning opportunity. Definitely don't want to do it again anytime soon, but I think it's put everyone in a spot where you know that you can act quickly, act decisively, and change can happen bloody quickly if you get people aligned, which it forced people to be. So how do you capture some of that essence to keep doing that in the future? Yeah, because during the pandemic, I mean, just on a local level, I remember them shutting all the toilets because of a lot of fear around transmission of of, um, of COVID and and consequently people have been using the toilets to to wash and to shower and to clean and to shelter um, suddenly couldn't they they caught on to that and um you know but it took a while and you know advocacy to like you know you hear a lot when you're on the street when you're sitting in the orange chairs and and talking and your volunteers do and your staff do but have you found yourselves getting involved in advocating on behalf of of people who are um, homeless not so much just yet like i think our advocacy work in inverted commas has been let's get on with it and let's let our actions do the talking and and that's actually how we've got we've not got a heap government money over the past nine years but we've got gotten pockets here and there from different announcements and different applications and and whatnot and and that's been actually we haven't even necessarily put forward for that but we've got a call from someone saying hey you should apply for this or hey you'd be in a good shot for this if, if you wanted to put something forward and i think that's been us just like i said getting on with it and letting our actions do the talking i think we are probably starting to explore that space a little bit more we're doing a lot more work in remote um, indigenous communities here in australia with some health some really poor health outcomes that first nations australians have um, and so starting to get a little bit more advocacy work in that space purely because of the remoteness and the challenges and the the difference in every community and it's impossible to you know, tell that story to, to government as well so yeah i think mostly let the actions do our talking um in in the past absolutely because you'll you'll know stuff that a lot of people making policy won't know right are there are there some key messages you'd like to get across like about what should happen yes i think it's a, it's a really good question um i think the what should happen, like first and foremost, is that there's not enough housing supply. And we're seeing that across the whole world, but Australia and New Zealand's uh, super amplified at the moment. So housing is ultimately the, the thing that's gonna that's gonna fix and, and support support homelessness. And there's some there's some great work happening. It's just slow and can take a long period of time. And I think in the interim, how do we actually support people? How do we minimize the impact that your know, homelessness can have um, for someone that you know, once they hit past three months homeless, then they're much more likely to um, yeah, go into chronic homelessness and then spend a lot more time. And people say, you know, mental health and addiction issues and stuff, which majority of the time actually come after um, being on the streets, not before. So they're actually a symptom, not a cause of homelessness in, in a lot of cases. I think they're the things that I really struggle with of, well, we can't just fix one thing. It's, it's all so interconnected. So things like mental health support, things like addiction services support, things like yeah, there's, there's a litany of different things that, that contribute to it. So I think it's really about how do we minimise the impact that it has in the interim whilst we work on those longer-term term fixes as well and acknowledge that people are still going to fall through the cracks. So how do we actually, when people do fall through the cracks, get people out as, as fast as possible and and um, and provide those connections and, and support. And in terms of balancing how you you know other things you want to do in your life and um because you know like what you've just described you can only see your services being needed more and more across australia and other parts of the world like we, you've done already in new zealand but 
have you got sort of vision for the future between you and Nick around how you might be involved or not? Like you're the founders of the charity, but do you see a clear future or have you, have you got a sort of map for what it's going to look like? Yeah, we're, we're in the midst of kind of wrestling through that all now and saying, well, who's going to go first and <laughs> what times that kind of look like. I definitely isn't something that uh, we both want to be doing for all, for our whole life. I, I definitely think we want to step away when the time is right, but also make sure that the time is right in order to do that. And so I think that we're starting to have those conversations now around you know, what is that in the next six, seven, eight years and what is the time going to look like? What does that involvement look like? Where are those other opportunities around the world? That you know, Could there be a scenario where something that, I could have done when I was 20, which was, you know, move overseas and do X, Y, Z that I could do in a later stage, but starting up something that I that I love so much in, in Orange Sky. So I think there's so many different factors and scenarios that we need to work through and, and wrestle through, but I haven't quite got the answers just yet. Just we are talking about it and we don't want to, you know, I don't want to be 40 and fixing washing machines and I probably want to be on to the next thing by then, I think. And have you found yourself in positions where you sort of had to pinch yourself, like, Maybe go and have to go and speak at you know an event or an important meeting or you know really famous people or have you have there sort of been moments for your neck where you kind of going wow how do we end up here this is awesome yeah definitely I think um, plenty of times like you just mentioned going to crazy events and going out to flash dinners and, and whatever but I think what it comes back to is you know, when I sit in a room with our team or our volunteers or. I'm out on shift or I hear a story from someone out on shift and, and they you know, share something of how impactful this was or even someone from our team and sharing about how you know, she and her partner started volunteering with Orange Sky and how much it's changed him as a human. And you know, three years ago, he never would have, would never have been so extroverted and out there and, and now he cares so deeply and it's his favourite time every fortnight to head out on shift. And so I think just it's probably less caught up in like I said, going to flash dinners or meeting fancy people and actually what are those changes that we can see in, in people around us and people in our, our community. Yeah. And let's end on hopes for the future for the organisation. Like you're in the middle of that transition because they took they, there's a phrase, isn't there, in, in sort of business and, and charity around founder syndrome and it sounds like you guys have definitely don't want to outlast uh, your welcome, if you like, and make sure it provides a legacy for the future. But um, yeah, sort of vision for the future around what the, ch- the charity will be doing in the next couple of years. Yeah, so with 2025, we want to be helping 40,000 people there. So we're about just over halfway there now um, in the last FY. So yeah, definitely a long way to go to reach reach that. And then in the next six months, we're going to be reshaping, you know, what does that look like out to FY30 as well and, and how many people and, and what's that going to look like in terms of communities we're impacting on. So yeah, I think a lot more work to do. I think we're expanding the definition of what we call a friend or we're sort of reviewing that in terms of is there actually loneliness and isolation in you know is loneliness and isolation in every other community if it's aged care if it's you know different communities that, that could actually benefit from a yarn and some washing um, and so looking at how does that impact on you know how many people we can support who are doing it tough so yeah it's a lot more to explore and a lot more to do and, and lots more changes to make along the way but I think keeping um, those people front and of, of who we're helping. Lucas Patchett, a massive thank you for joining me on Purposely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.